Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The Self Love Club. A place where boss babes share their stories to empower women. Welcome to the Self Love Club podcast. I'm Val Crawford and you can find out more about why I've launched this club at valcrawford.com. I'd love for you to join it and trust me, it's not like a cult or pyramid scheme. It's literally just a club where you can come hang out. It's going to be a fun time. Join me for a podcast series where we'll hear the stories of girl boss women who are doing super cool things with their lives. We'll find out how they've done what they have, their self-love and self-care practices, and they'll share their tips to empower you to live your best life. Maddie Walker studied business and is the founder of popular digital and social media platform, The Twenties Club. The blog caters for young women in their 20s covering a range of topics from fashion, politics, relationships, health and well-being. Maddie is very smart both in her writing and as an entrepreneur, turning her blog into a full-time business within a short space of time. We're so lucky to have Maddie share her story and knowledgeable advice on the Self Love Club podcast. Maddie, thank you so much for uh, coming and hanging out on the Self Love Club podcast. So cool to have you. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is um, actually my first ever podcast and I listen to podcasts religiously. So it's quite yeah. um, weird to be on the other side of it. You're like, now I'm on one of those things that I listen I, to all the time. I know, it's crazy. And I, I literally listen to podcasts like all day, every day. So That's so great, aren't they? They're just like... I feel like, especially when you're, say, walking for exercise, it's like exercise in your brain while you exercise your body. Mm. Sort of how I think about it. What sort of, like, do you, are you, like, mean? You're, like, you're, like, true crime ones as well? I, yeah, I literally love everything. <laughs> so I listen to, like, a heap of um, business podcasts, um, true crime. I love political podcasts. Um, obviously, things like the high-low, which is, like, pop culture and current affairs. Um, I love this one called The Daily, which is by The New York Times. It's, like, mm. these little short 20-minute um, wrap-ups of what's happened the day before. Yeah, so it is. Kind of- I'm the same. I think whenever I'm doing anything now, whether I'm just doing things around home or like, you know, I just, I'm like, podcast. Totally. You just, it's like we're so, we need information all the time at the moment and we I just know. can't, it's bad. But then- I wonder if that's a bad thing. I wonder if it's like we're not... We're getting um, uncomfortable with like silence. Yeah. No, like even last night at dinner, I was sitting in silence and I was like, oh, I could chuck a podcast yeah. on or I could watch something. I mean, at least in my, I like, I totally, but then at least at the same time, we're sort of filling our minds with information and yeah. like it's educational for some yeah, of it. So totally. It's not worse. I mean, if we're not reading books as much, then that's kind of replacing that. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us about yourself, what you do, what you're all about. So I am the founder of the 20s Club which is a digital and social media um, platform that sort of caters to young women in their 20s. So it brings together everything that the sort of modern 20-something woman um, cares about, so fashion or politics or health, well-being, relationships. Um, I sort of wanted it to feel like the conversations you'd have with a girlfriend on a Friday night or a Sunday morning at breakfast. And I wanted it to have that tone of your best friend as well. So I wanted it to be, you know, brutally honest, but kind and inclusive. 
um, and informative, but ultimately a space where a girl could go and read an article that made them feel, I guess, like a little bit less alone in the experiences they had in this decade. Mm. And in a really cool way as well. Like it's very... It's very cool, you know? Oh, God. Yeah. Which I think, I like, don't, I'm not a very cool person. No, so, no, but, like, um, it, I mean, like, when I say cool, it's, like, it's, it's like, yeah, you're, like, wow, this is really, like, badass cool stuff, yeah. you know? And it's, like, it's, it caters so much, so well, it's really cool. Well, I think cool. one of the – something I've always um, subscribed to is – I, I've always believed that like showing an interest in um, your skincare routine and using a good serum or online shopping doesn't disqualify you from also showing an interest in global politics and climate change and the war in Syria. You know, like those things don't have to mm. um, exist separately. And so on the 20s club, sort of organically, that's what's happened is I've shown that those things can coexist yeah, definitely. Because like that was really smart of you to do that. Because for a lot of accounts you might follow, they may yeah cover off skincare, cover off fashion, cover off politics, and you having to go to all these different places. Totally. And Whereas, I was never, um, I was never when I decided I was going to do a blog. Like it was never going to be just a fashion blog because I'm not fashionable enough to do that. And it was never going to be just a health food blog because I'm not healthy enough to do that. So I was really just this like average. Um, woman, not in a bad way, but but that showed an equal interest in yeah. all these different areas, which is the majority of us. I think it's smart that you did that because if you did just do a fashion blog, then you're kind of limiting yourself to only fashion yeah. and then there's other things that you know about or want to talk about and then you're like, oh, well, I've launched a fashion blog. I can't talk totally. about that. You know, like, so, yeah, you were really, you were, you did it really well. You cleverly did it. So how did it all come about? Like, when did you start it and, like, where did it all come from? So... I was in my second year of university at Dunedin and my girlfriends and I were like 20 and 21. I'm I'm young for my year, so I was just 20. And we were all kind of like at the start of this like prolific decade or like so we'd been told. Like, you know, everywhere we read it was the, your 20s is when you could get married, you might become a mum in this decade, you'll get your first career, you might buy a house, you might go travelling. And we were sort of... Um, feeling all these like juxtaposing emotions of like excitement and fear and um, a little bit overwhelmed, but mostly optimistic. And I felt like, or I was sort of surprised that there wasn't a space that was specifically catering to this time in our lives. Cause to me, it felt really different to any other decade. You know, it's really the first time that we, uh, being treated like adults out in the real world. But then it has this funny like contrast where at home you're still being treated like a child by your parents or the fact that you even have to live at home because none of us can afford to go flatting and then you can afford to go flatting, but you still feel like a child because you can't afford to buy a house. Mm. And so it's this weird like um, transition into adulthood. And I just felt like there was so much in that. And I also felt like people weren't being um, – honest about the challenges that come with entering your 20s like there was this real sort of narrative that if you do a law degree you should become a lawyer if you do medicine you should become a doctor like but I was straight which, and of, I was yeah. like but what happens if you do a law degree and then you don't want to become a lawyer which was most of my girlfriends mm. and no one was like putting up their hand to say don't worry I don't know what I'm doing either let's just all figure it mm. out together 
Yeah, and which so, is important because then if we're not sharing that and we're not saying, hey, it's okay to not want to be a doctor when you've studied medicine, like I think if we don't do that, it's actually creating problems in society and the way we think about ourselves and we'll feel crap about ourselves. Totally. It's like giving people the permission to start again. Mm. And you can start again at any point in your life. It doesn't have to be in your 20s, but especially don't feel like whatever you decided in year 13 at high school has to be the trajectory of your life. Yeah, and I think when you're that age, you probably were the same. I remember thinking like, well, I'm doing this and that means I have to do this. You think of things very like black and white and Absolutely. like you're like, oh, this is how it has to be. But as you get older, you do sort of work out that, well, things are going to change. You're going to roll with it. Yeah. But, and, and your 20s are so full of changes. Like yourself, whether it be like career, like moving cities, countries, partners, Absolutely. everyone's everyone's in this like crazy change period. Absolutely. And, um, and I just wanted there to be more honest conversations like that so that when a girl was turning 21, they didn't feel like they were the only one that didn't have life figured out. Mm. You know, like they always say like there's nothing that screws up your 20s more than thinking you are supposed to have it all figured out. Yeah, and I, I guess we're, I think in society we're often really scared to show, I guess it's sharing vulnerability, you know, like you, by sharing that, hey, I did this but I am i don't have it all together or but by not doing that, which I feel like we do all the time or as a general, as society we do, it's actually not good. Especially you know, with social really media bad. where oh. we're showing these like highlight reels. Yeah. Um, and a blog was just the easier way to, to kind of get into the nitty gritty yeah. of that. With Instagram, you know, you don't want to keep, you, you don't want to yeah. write too much you in You can't captions. get that much in a caption. Yeah. And I also feel like people don't really read captions anymore. Well, like I'm just. Short like ones, yeah. Really, yeah, like I'll read a short caption, but mostly I'm looking at what they're showing yeah. me. And a blog um, allows you to, yeah, to write more yeah. as a place to write. Oh, cool. So what were you studying? So I did um, a Bachelor of Commerce and a Bachelor of arts in Dunedin um I sort of as much in year sort of year 12 and 13 when we were making those decisions about uni um I knew that I wanted to have my own business and I knew that I wanted to be self-employed because my dad had is a self-employed businessman and he'd sort of um shown that while it's an extraordinary amount of hard work it can also be super rewarding um, and, but I didn't know what that would look like. Like, I didn't know what a businesswoman with my interests looked like, you know? Mm. Um, and so I thought if I just do a business degree, at least I'll have that understanding of basic accounting and finance and economics and all that sort of stuff. And then the communications part of my degree in my arts was where I could sort of work on my writing without, like, I never studied journalism, never went to writing school which in hindsight I see as such a blessing because sometimes I wonder if I had studied how to write, like would I still write the way that I do now and, mm. and or would I think that my writing is terrible? Yeah. You know, like sometimes we refine our skills like too much where they become too um, sort of constructed. Mm. Um, and But also more than what I studied at uni – I was. I knew how important it would be for me to leave Auckland and go to Dunedin. Um, I grew up, like I went to an all-girls private school for 13 years. And so there's only so much of the world you can understand in that environment. And I really knew that I lived in a bubble. So more important than the degree I was doing was where I was going to go 
and kind of the experience I would have. Yeah. And so how did you find leaving Auckland in that bubble, you say? Like, what was that like Yeah, so I, I surprisingly found it an easy transition. I think mum and dad were expecting a phone call, like, any week to be like, Mads is coming home. She hates it. But I was lucky enough to just um, find just the most incredible group of girlfriends and guy friends that sort of spanned the country and really opened up my eyes. Mm. Um, like I said, I, I very much had lived in a bubble up until that point. And it was uh, without a doubt, like the best four years of my life. I'm sure I had the most um, personal growth I've ever had when, in, during that, that time. Yeah, And it's because you're finally made to be independent, like from your parents, you know, like for that first um, like two decades of your life, your opinions of the world are very much dictated by the house that you grew up in. Mm. And especially me who grew up in such like a happy, loving household, there's there's downsides to that because you don't quite get the um, the grittiness of mm. life. And understand that some people don't have that as totally. well. Totally. Which is not your fault, but like, you know, that's just, if you're not in certain environments, you just yeah. don't know. And I think I, um, I think for a lot of, t- especially once I launched the Twenties Club for a long time, I was quite, not ashamed, but I was embarrassed that I had come from such a comfortable upbringing um, because I thought, well, how does that qualify me to talk about these these issues? But what I'm sort of learning more is it's not like where you've come from. It's what how you use that mm. to go where you want to go and using your privilege, quote unquote, to offer a mic to other people's stories. Yeah, definitely. You know? So you so you finished your degree and then what yeah. did you do then? So yeah, so and so my, had you launched the degree oh, right. when you were there? Or? No, okay. So in my yeah, so my second sorry, I'm I was no, you're gabbling. No, you're fine. Um, it's perfect. So in my so my second year of uni, I conceived the idea for the twenties club, and I decided I was going to work on it, sort of in secrecy until I had it absolutely perfect, and then I would launch it to the world. So the only people. The world, lol. Like I was expecting the world to read it. No, um, you've got a no, high girlfriend. Yeah. I know what you mean, though. Yeah, but yeah. So I was like, I told mum and dad. I, I wrote a business plan. I was like, I, wow. I, as much as I, I don't believe you should ever follow a business plan. I think you should always write one because it sort of says to the universe, yes, this is a serious thing. Mm. Like this is not. Like I a mean hobby. this. I'm yeah, totally. Do this. Yeah. I, I mean it. And so, I also, I also believe that you can only launch something once. So if I told people at that on the day that I f- came up with the idea, oh, I'm going to start a blog, and then it took me two years to launch, yeah. people would be like, oh, didn't you say you were starting a blog? Like, yeah. where is it? What, what, what have I, you know? And then you've also got you think You think opinions. so like me. I'm like, I want to do it when it's ready. I'm not going to do it until then. Totally. It has to be perfect. Totally, which obviously is impossible, but I at least wanted to have the grace of doing it by myself getting a graphic designer, work, yeah. you know, getting the website right, figuring out, like, what I wanted to say because it's not like we there was any shortage of blogs. Mm. Like, there were enough already. So did I really have something um, new to add to the space? And so I ended up launching it on the 30th of May 2015, which was the year after I graduated and moved back to Auckland. Um, and, like, I hadn't even told my girlfriends because – um, I knew they'd be so supportive and incredible, but I also didn't want 
them to come up with amazing ideas and tell me them and then me second guess my decisions, you know, and then you've got too many cooks spoiling the pot. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I launched in 2015 um, and it's just been like the joy of my life. That's so cool. So what was what was your first blog post about? Do you remember? Oh, my God. Um, or was it like, you know, did it? Well, actually, no, the way I did it was um, – being like a type A. So I actually wrote something like 50 blog posts and had them ready to go. So that way, so I think someone, I have, I've got a few mentors and I think one of my mentors maybe advised me on that. She said, you don't want to launch a blog and then have like one post. Mm. You kind of want to like have material for girls to read so they can go on. And if they don't like that article, they might like that one. That's a good idea. And they can kind of get a feeling for like what Maddie's trying to achieve mm. um, because also, like you said, it was never going to be one topic. Mm. So I've got girls that come to the blog now for very specific reasons that are exclusive from an, a reason another reader might come to the 20s club. Mm. You know, like there was um, – but what I what I couldn't have um, foreseen when I launched was just how much has happened in the world that has given me stuff to write about. Like when I launched, I didn't even have an interest in politics. Like didn't even, couldn't have told you um, if the Republican Party or the Democratic Party controlled the Senate, who controlled the House back in 2015. Like I just didn't know anything about that. But when the 2016 election happened with Trump and Clinton, I think that really like galvanised our demographic. and. I sort of made it a job for myself to really skill up on that because I knew that the girls would want to talk about it. Um, likewise, I wasn't really that much of a reader when I first launched the blog and I've become um, a more kind of like prolific reader as the years have gone on. And I never thought I'd be writing about books on the blog because I'm not a very good reader. Like I'm very slow at reading. Um, but yeah, I just think I couldn't have... I feel so lucky that there's so much to talk about. Mm, oh, like of I've course. never, I'd never run out of. I'm never like sort of like scratching my head trying to think of yeah. something to say. And that can be like a worry when you're doing like a blog or whatever it is, like creating content. And you're like, oh, but no, because there's always news and there's always things happening. Totally. And uh, yeah, I think it's cool because I think for you're able to write for your audience about in a way they're able to understand it, you know, like, and it's a, it's a twist they like on it. Cause if you want to read politics stuff, sometimes going to like, you know, I don't know, some American, CNN part, or, you know, yeah, maybe totally. you don't want to read that. You might read the top bits, but it's like, you're going to literally, I mean, I know I do. I'll just like quickly read the skim, headlines. skim the headlines and then the next few bits there. So I understand the gist of the story. Okay, cool. Our minds don't, we don't have much time. No, we're, exactly. we're fast. We're like, okay, cool. And it doesn't appeal to us reading something like that. So reading, your blog would be more appealing because then people can like actually like they can enjoy reading a piece and yeah. they're like, wow, now I know this about politics, you know? Yeah, and and something I tried to get better at is saying what I need to say in a shorter amount of time because like sometimes you get on a roll with writing and then you've written something that's like a thousand words. But what I've realised is that the girls don't want to read anything longer than 800 words, mm. which is short, like compared to any other <laughs> news site, 800 words is like tiny. But We're just attention spans are just not there we anymore. We don't have them. No. Yeah, exactly. And I'm also aware that um, while the girls are really loyal to reading the blog, they read like 50 different news sites a day. So they really just want to get in and get out mm. and then get on to the next thing. Yeah, definitely. And so how did the blog grow and evolve from there? I mean, you would have – did you just see it sort of pick up quite quickly? Like, no, how did it, it it's really been a, um, a slow burn. Um, and t 
typical kind of um, being filled with self-doubt, like sort of at every turn I found myself worrying that it wasn't growing with like the kind of extraordinary momentum that sometimes these blogs do. Um, But actually that, that became quite an interesting learning experience later down the track when I realized that so many of these Instagram accounts that I'd been comparing mine to had been buying their followers and um, paying for likes and paying for engagement, which mm. was like, like at the same time was a, a devastating thing to learn and a um, reaffirming thing. It made me realize that I just need to keep producing honest, honest content. Yeah. And if it's good enough, people will come and read it. And it will grow. Yeah. yeah. And so – and now I'm I'm in such like sort of a a beautiful flow with it where I'm really proud of the content I'm producing and the girls loving it and the community is so engaged. Um, I feel lucky that I have girls that don't just sort of click like and then move on. Like these girls want to engage in a conversation with me and they want to challenge me when they disagree and they want to, you know, add a different perspective to a story that I may not have thought of. Um and that's kind of all I wanted from the platform. Yeah, definitely. Smart woman, like that's that's boss. That's attractive, you know, like girls who know things. I love that, you know, <laughs> like when you say like girls wanting to like challenge me or have yeah. conversations, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it seems so silly to even say that, like, you know, girls, because of course girls can talk about like these things. We don't just talk about makeup all the time, which is totally. fine too as well. But I find it real boss when girls want to talk about all that stuff too. I'm like, yeah, girl. Yes. And if someone smart. wants to engage with me on a healthy debate, I'm like, yes, girl, let's <laughs> Bring it. do it. Um, I love that because also like there'll be a lot of times I'm wrong. And, and there's no way that I'm going to be able to evolve if there's not someone to hold me accountable mm. or just like to um, enlighten me, you know. Um, I make almost every business decision based on my gut feeling and as long as I – every time I've done that, sort of 99% of the time it's been the right decision. Yeah. Um, and any time I haven't, it's when I've had like a monumental – fuck up hmm. I think that's the thing though a lot of people say trust your gut yeah I really believe you it's, know. I, I don't think it's a woo-woo thing I really think it's I think our gut is like an intrinsic um sort of like mix up of all our past experiences that sort of sits dormant mm. and then the minute we have to make a decision our gut reminds us mm. of maybe previous experiences and what happened Definitely. Like and I think I, there's some sort of science in it, really. I think there might be, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, you know, you say, they say listen to your gut, and especially when it's something you've created, it's your business, it's your blog. Of course you will know in your yeah. gut because it's something you came up with. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what I think as well. It's like if it was something you didn't create, then maybe, but then in saying that you still make decisions based on what your gut's telling you. Yeah. But when it's your baby, you created this, it came from you, then you will know, you know yeah. what I mean? That's one what of, I think as well. Totally. One of my um, mentors, she um, lives in this, the UK and she worked at Facebook and now she works at Snapchat. And she said to me when I launched, she was like, figure out what your why is and then come back to your why every single time you make a decision. So she said, like, figure out why you started the 20s club. Why was it important that it existed? Um, why did you feel called to create it? And then when you get offered a contract or when someone comes to you with an idea, if it aligns with your why, then it's then you know what to do. Then mm. it's the right decision. If it doesn't al- align with your why, then it's not worth the paycheck. It's not worth the following. It's not worth the um, recognition. Yeah. Like, I mean, let you, it go. You have told me about why you did create this, but what is your why? I I really felt like 
there needed to be a safe space for young women in their 20s. Like it was as simple as that. I just felt like it really blew my mind that it didn't exist. Mm. Like there was, there are so many incredible digital media platforms, but they were sort of like all encompassing to women. Whereas I found this decade in particular quite, quite unique. Um, and so I just wanted to create a space where the girls could go. There were so many things that I went through in my early 20s that for sure I felt like I was the only person going through them. And that's a really lonely place to be. And so with the 20s club, I've tried to speak to those experiences and then allow girls to see their own experiences in mine mm. and hopefully feel um, less weird, less lonely less wrong. Yeah, I totally agree. By sharing these things, you make people feel better because they're like, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. Totally. If you don't mind, and we don't have to go there, but what are some of the experiences you went through? So um, probably the the biggest experience I've gone through in my 20s was um, some severe anxiety I got at the beginning of my 20s. So Three people in my world um, died within a very short period of time or something like 18 months. And all three of them um, died from very like freak incidents, so either freak health experience or a freak accident. And that was like the first time in my life, having had such a sheltered upbringing and coming from such a loving family, it was really the first time in my life where I was where I realized just how quickly things can change and just how quickly your life can, can turn upside down. And it really ignited in me this very severe fear um, that things could go wrong at any moment. And um, in my anxiousness, I really made all these changes to the way that I lived because I was really just so scared of like either myself dying, which sounds very dramatic, but either myself dying or someone else dying around me. So um, I didn't want to go out clubbing in Dunedin, which is like part of the lifestyle there really. But like, you know, I, in my third year of university, I didn't want to go red red cards. I didn't want to go to town. Um, I didn't want to get too drunk because I didn't want to lose control. I didn't want to go um, in taxis by myself or I didn't really want to go on taxis at all, didn't want to go on public transport, you know, because I just thought the only way that I can prevent bad things from happening is by living a conservative life. And I essentially lost that entire year mm. because I was living in such a place of fear. And I still, and then that kind of anxiety morphed into um, a bit of social anxiety and it kind of all just um, snowballed. And it wasn't until I found an incredible, um, psychologist in Auckland who really helped to, it was really nice to have someone who wasn't a family member, wasn't a friend to say, well, yeah, like, of course you're anxious. Like that, this, these are freak things that have happened. Like that's, that's traumatic. Mm. It was really nice to have someone validate yeah, it Yeah, like rationalise it for you. Yeah, because you yeah. do think when, you, when you're in anxiety, you do think you're a bit, you do think you're losing it. Mm. And you do think, um, oh, maybe I'm overreacting or like I know I'm overreacting. But to have someone say anyone would have reacted the way you did to what happened was really validating and actually um, provided like, more relief than I than I thought it would um and yeah so that kind of started 
the healing process. And it's still something I um, experience. I think I'm a sensitive person, like in every, every sense of the word. So I'm sensitive with food. I'm sensitive with my emotions. Um, and so it's always, anxiety will always be like a companion, but it's not like the best friend anymore. Yeah, totally. Oh, it's so, honestly, through this podcast, I mean, I already knew it was pretty common, but through this podcast, like, I reckon most people have anxiety. I know, because I listen to your yeah, podcast and most, and we've, why, like, what are we doing, what is, what is we doing wrong that we're all being afflicted by anxiety in such a severe way. I think there's quite a, I mean, I've had a couple of discussions about this, but I, I think it's a few things. I, I mean, I've had a psychologist tell me that anxiety is a, is a human emotion. Like it's a human emotion, just like you're angry, you're happy, you're sad. It is an, it's a normal human emotion. I think it's a few things. I think it's like the lifestyles we're putting ourselves through, um, the world we're living in now, the social media constantly being on our phones and being so stimulated foods, um, yeah. so it's, it's so many things. It's hard. I mean, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an expert, so I can't like say yeah. these things, but I think, and, and again, it's, it's also like hereditary. It's a chemical imbalance in your brain. Yeah. There are so, and or like for you and for those of us or others that have been through traumatic experiences, it's through those things. Yeah. There's so many things that are going on. And like you said, you know, anxiety is a form of fear and fear is the, fear is designed to keep us safe yeah it's you know but um I think like someone explained it well they were like you know back in the stone age our fear and anxiety was like being chased by a Mm saber-toothed tiger and our brain still thinks it's being chased by a saber-toothed tiger but that's now your boss or that's now your ex-boyfriend or that's now the person in your head telling you you're fat like there's our brain registers fear and anxiety in the same way it did a thousand years ago um but it's now happening every hour on the hour from a different direction. Mm. Yeah, we're we're anxious, but we're also burning and stressing ourselves out. Yeah. And I think stress and anxiety are incredibly linked. Like totally. they are from the like from my own like the research I've done for myself into it and like just, you know, it's we're stressing ourselves out a lot over a lot of things that we shouldn't be stressing about and that and that in turn makes us anxious. Yeah, and I think that's why you know, you've had you'll be you've been having these incredible discussions around self care, and I think it's the reason why a podcast like this is so important, rather than just slapping the word self care on a t shirt and calling mm. it a day. Is I think in um, this modern time, we are, I think we've butchered the word self care, and what we're now doing is we're burning ourselves out. We're smoking a packet of diaries. We're drinking on the weekends. We're not getting enough sleep. And yeah. then we're going out for a pedicure and calling it self-care. Yeah, no. And that's, like, let's be real. That's not what no, self-care is. it's not. Like, I mean, yeah, that's the thing when some people will think they know what self-care is. And it's not like I'm being judgy pants or anything, but it's like it's more than just going to get you. Yeah, like that's great. And that is a form of self-care. Yeah. But it's about what you do for yourself on a daily basis in so many ways, like, whether it be, you know, physically, like emotionally, spiritually, like just making sure you're getting enough sleep. Absolutely. Or like eating really nourishing foods or just if you're tired, just chill out and lie yeah. down and relax, you yeah. know. Um, there's Yeah, there's so many, so many things of self-care. What are some of your um, go-to self-care practices that you use? So – I was thinking about this because I knew you'd ask me. Um, so <laughs> Since we're on it, I was like, going to do it at some point. Yeah. But. <laughs> um, so I, I try and think about it 
is like moment to moment, what am I doing to look after myself? Um, and I think that can sort of, when you look at it as more of like a, like a lifestyle than, than a, an action like a massage, um, it sort of changes the way you look at it. So I sort of think, okay, so what's my self-talk like today? Like what are the stories I'm telling myself about myself and how limiting are those stories? Like we tell ourselves so many lies. Mm. We're not worth this. Um, we'll never have that. Um, we're not good enough. We're not tall enough. We're not X enough. Um, so being mindful of my of my inner dialogue is one of them. Mm. Um, how am I like when I do things sort of in my health practice, am I doing them because I love my body or because I hate my body? Like I think so many people work out because they hate their body, not because they love their body. Mm-hmm. And and look, that's not – I think like self-acceptance is not something you necessarily arrive at. I think it's like a journey. I don't think I'll ever be fully there. But if I can at least on a daily basis move my body and eat for my body because I love it, not because I hate it mm. – that's a form of self-care. Totally. That's really totally hard to agree. do. But, yeah. but I think even just being conscious of that um, and also taking the ego out of it. Like we're like, oh, I'm too busy to make a healthy breakfast. No, you're not. Like you're not. You have time. Like that's crap and you know it, that like, yeah. you have time. Um, so that's sort of how I think about self-care. Yeah. And some days I'm terrible at it. Yeah. And then other days it feels really effortless. Yeah, I definitely. And that's the thing. I mean, I think we can be so hard on ourselves in so many ways. It's like, you know, like I think for me at different points, self-care becomes another thing I have to do. And you can be like, oh, I have to be doing this. I have to be meditating every night. And it's like, nah, chill out. Just, yeah. And then as you start doing it, it just becomes natural. Totally. Like that's, you're so right with the whole (laughs) meditating thing. I was like, okay, I'm going to meditate because I'm like a Taipei psychopath. And I was like. I get really like like, obsessive and it has to, I have to do this. And I'm real hard on myself. I know. And I'm like, I'm probably not approaching this the right way. Like I'm such a a psycho. I'm like, okay, I've got to to focus on my Yes, same. And then then it just like doesn't happen. You're like, I was like, okay, turning meditation's something. not for me. Like, I'm turning this into like an SAT test or like, <laughs> like level three NCA. Like, I just need to relax. It's against what it's actually about. Yeah. Look what we've done. I know. I think that's what Deepak Chopra had in mind. <laughs> no, he's like, we've ruined his practice. <laughs> he hates us. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I think it's about being less hard on yourself, which for me, I've definitely had to like. Just I still have to deal with it. Like, if you know, one day you can't make a workout or whatever, you're like, oh. Should have really made that. But it's like, well, I'm actually really freaking tired right now, you know, like, or I've had to work later. I'm doing this. So I'll just, yeah. you know, work in how I can, you know, totally. like you've got, to, you've got to be flexible with it. And sometimes I think, especially with the exercise thing, like we think like sometimes what's better for your stress levels is going for a walk with a girlfriend than to going to like a 30 minute grit. That's yeah. only going to raise your cortisol levels even higher and make you stressed. You know, yeah. I think sometimes, um, doesn't have we don't have to always be overachieving in every single area of our and lives. I, totally. And I think with exercise again, it's like a lot of us are just and I've had to learn this through burnout and you would have probably been through the same as well. When you've got anxiety, you can get like adrenal fatigue burnout so easily because you're because your adrenals are constantly like, Well, what's going on? Yeah. But it is like rather than yeah, like you say, and it's a really good point you made about not thrashing yourself with the exercise because I think a lot of people still and that's it's no judge because I mean we all have to work it out for ourselves but if you feel really good doing all that 
you know, that's great, but you do need to listen to your body. And if you're stressed and tired, but you get up every morning and you go to F45, I mean, we see that you do because you, you know, everyone posts about it, don't they? <laughs> Except yeah, for you. Yeah. I, I I tried F forty five, but <laughs> I didn't like how I didn't like how bright the lights were. Like I was like, this is a lot for six a.m. guys. Like we just need to dim like, it down. Yeah, I I felt like I was at the dentist. It was just too much light. And yeah, I hate how in Auckland, like I'm an introvert, so like I don't like bumping into people. Like it's a really bad thing to say, but I'm not good with bumping into people. And F forty five has become this like so social yeah. which is I think why people love it yeah, it's but cool. for me it was like a lot at 6am to yeah. be like talking to 15 people yeah. you know I'm more and of not a... looking my best so I train with um, a whole bunch of friends um, at this fitness thing that two of my friends run down at Silo Park and That's it's outside good. and you get, yeah. the, you get the sunshine and it's um, it's just more like it's more spiritual, spiritually aligned with how I feel feel like I should start the day. Totally. Same with me. I mostly start them on the beach or yeah. like go to the, if I go to a gym class, it's a, like a quick thing, but mostly out. I just, that's a magic time of Same. day. It's like, it just sets you up, isn't yeah. it? And I also think like getting natural sunlight first thing in the morning is so good for and us. And seeing a sunrise. Yeah. Like, wow. Heaven. Yeah, so no, it's nothing. I'm not saying anything anti against no, 45. It's more of a joke, but um, but it's just saying <laughs> the like, record. yeah, if you don't have to get up every morning six days a week and thrash yourself like that, and you don't have to do what everyone else is doing, no. like that's where Instagram, yeah. I think, um, Instagram can be a little. I love Instagram, but it can be detrimental from that element. Like I actually wrote an article about this last year. There was this time where everyone was filming their workouts on Instagram, mm. and it was, and as like a someone with like relatively low self-esteem, it was just destroying me because I was like, everyone is doing the absolute most at the gym. Everyone is training like they're going to the Olympics. And that just like, <laughs> like I was like, are we all preparing for a fashion show that no one's told me about? I need to know. Um, and and that like gets in your brain. So yeah. I think sometimes um, getting off Instagram first thing in the morning when everyone's filming their workouts is another self-care yeah, oh, Instagram can be quite detrimental for self care and self worth. I've talked about this a little bit, but like, oh, like I just think, yeah, it can really, it can really muck around with with your self worth if you're having a bad day. It's like I don't know, we're not really helping ourselves too much. But no. what do you, what do you think about that? Do you have like limits you use on on with yourself with it? The one thing I do religiously is every single Sunday I. And I don't know if this is strange or not, but every single Sunday I go through my following list and I unfollow anybody who makes me feel um, not worthy. So anyone, and it's nothing against that person, like, you know, Candace Swanepoel doesn't know what she's doing to me, but she, <laughs> um, but it's not always healthy for me to be following 10 supermodels every week. Mm. So every week, literally every single week, I change who I'm following and just get rid of people that aren't making me feel worthy. Mm. Um, and I have no shame in that. I don't care if it's people I know. I don't care if it's people I don't know. But I think we use Instagram. Don't let Instagram use us. Mm. Like be be vigilant with who you're letting sort of speak into your world. Um, because I think so much of what we see on our feeds does kind of get ingrained in us and we don't even realize. So as someone who, because I'm self-aware enough to know that I do have low self-esteem, it's just not practical for me to be following um, people that 
have extraordinary genetics. Like it's just not. Mm. And I don't want that energy in my week. Yeah, fair enough. I've link, I've likened it before to, you know, back in the day, you wouldn't watch a TV show you don't want to watch. You wouldn't read a book or, you know, whatever you don't want to read. So like with social media, you if you don't want to watch someone's stuff or look at something, yeah. you, don't, you can choose the content. Like we're actually really lucky we can choose what we're watching. Totally. And that's so, where I think like rem- it's the girls have to remember that you guys – have full control over the mm. way Instagram works for you. The feature I love at the moment is mute, where you can still follow someone, but you can mute their Instagram stories or mute their um, posts. And if I'm having like a particularly vulnerable week um, and there's like a person that say triggers me a little bit with self-doubt, I'll just mute that person for the week. Mm. And it's so crazy the in a, the shift in energy you'll feel by just not having that constantly um, – inserting itself in your day yeah how have you that's some of the tips you've managed to like with your mm. self-doubt and everything like mm. that how have you managed to work on that like because we all have it it's not like anything to be ashamed of yeah I think it's just a constant thing it's like I said I don't think you ever well maybe you do arrive at full self-acceptance that'd but be nice wouldn't it yeah that would be amazing <laughs> um but Look, my self-worth now is so much higher than it than it's probably ever been. And I put that down to um, everything. I put it down to having a fulfilling career. I put it down to having the most impeccable female friendships in my life. I put it down to um, living – well, this is something kind of strange, but, like, I'm, I don't drink. I'm not a drinker at all. And um, before that, so, like, say two years ago, I used to pretend to drink. So I used to just hold a glass – at a party or um, I'd have a soda and pretend it was a vodka soda. And the minute I start, the minute I sort of stopped drinking completely and was just honest about it, I really think the universe rewards you for stepping into your truth. And my self-worth also grew from that because it was like such an example to myself of living um, in alignment you know, and mm. I, I was like proud of myself for that. Yeah, and so that really built my built my self worth up a little bit. Was not no longer pretending to be X because I I knew I knew it wasn't cool to not drink, so I didn't really want to tell people. Um, and then the minute I just was like, "Fuck it," like I don't like alcohol. I'm just not going to drink. Mm. It was just all so effortless. Yeah, I built it up to be such a big thing in my head that it, that people would think it was strange or people would. Um, judge me or people would maybe pressure me into drinking and none of that happened. Mm. Like if anything, people were just like, yeah. That's cool. That shows that you've got really good friends. I think so. Like that's what I've heard. Like I, I've, I've always known that I've, I have like outstanding female friendships um, and I try and tell them that as often as I can. Um, but I have had stories from girls who gave up drinking and found it really hard because they just felt a huge amount of pressure mm. from their um, social groups. Yeah, I mean, there's been different times where I, I don't drink a lot anymore, but, like, there's been times where I didn't drink at all. And, like, to be honest, like, when you're younger, maybe it's like an early 20s thing, obviously being a student, it's kind of a big part of that culture. So if you don't do it, you're kind of like, they're like, what are you doing? Totally, and but, I drank all through Dunedin yeah. because of that. But as you get older, I remember I got back from Melbourne at one point, I was like, oh, I'm just taking a break from drinking. I've been partying too much and I'm just over it. And my friends are like, oh, good on you. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, if that's going to make you feel good, then that's great. And and what's so crazy is, and this kind of is similar to why I started the 20s club, was like the minute I 
was honest about not drinking, it's so crazy the number of guys and girls who are like, oh, I'd love to not drink. Mm. Or like, oh, I've always wanted to um, to not drink during the week or whatever, but I just like can't can't even bother explaining it to people. And so isn't and, that funny? Which that, is crazy. Yeah. But I think that's maybe a New Zealand thing. Like it's very much in our culture. Mm. Um, and also like, there's no big story behind mine. It's not like I was an alcoholic. It's not like I had a traumatic alcohol experience. It was none of that. I just don't like the taste and I don't like the way it makes me feel. Yeah, that's good. You're smart. <laughs> <laughs> Took some of us a long time to work no. it out. <laughs> I do. I have to say, like, it's it's had positive effects in other ways. Like, I feel like my skin's a lot better than it was in Dunedin when yeah, I was drinking yeah. heavily. Drinking makes your skin crap and it makes yeah, you, I find it, makes it my skin really terrible. dry yeah. and, like, just, yeah, I just feel, like, really malnourished and, like, and puffy. That's yeah, how and I then you're like, you're like, <laughs> I always felt like I looked like a puff. Like, if I look back at photos of myself from Dunedin, it's like a freak show. I'm like this, like, I've already got a round face and it was, like, this puffy, Aww. like, puffer fish. Um, yeah. Rest no, in peace. You do feel really good, <laughs> R.I.P. You do I feel really good and because if you're wanting to achieve really cool things like you know with with your blog and stuff you would have like been wanting to work on that and and if you're if you're drinking and going out and the next day you're right off you can't really achieve the cool things you want to do yeah, you know? that's exactly. what I found as well I realized if I wanted to do the things that I really want to do I had to sort of stop that and it wasn't yeah. really for that in the first place it's like oh Certainly like going out. Yeah. I'm sick of having nights out every week and I'm over it. It's boring. Totally. Or like, because all my girlfriends drink and all my family drinks and I I find it, I find it so easy to be in their company and like have a fun time. Like I really don't need alcohol. Mm. Even as someone who gets anxious in social situations, I feel happier and more calm when I'm sober than when I'd had a glass of champagne. That's good. Which I think is sometimes it's the opposite for people that have mm. social anxiety. But um. But I, but I feel, yeah, really grateful that I can be with my girlfriends and I can still go to all the boozy long lunches that we do and, you know, go to the girls' dinners and go to the Friday night drinks. I just don't have alcohol. So you didn't find, because I think for some people they stop, I've heard of people stopping getting invited to things. Like it wasn't the case for <laughs> yeah, you. My, luckily my girls didn't <laughs> veto me. Yeah, um, like you don't drink anymore. It's like, oh, so I, I don't do dinner anymore? Like, if I my girlfriends, I've had the same girlfriends for like 20 years. So if they did that, that would be pretty hectic. Um, <laughs> You're like, I didn't drink back then yeah. I, so. um, but no um no they haven't which is amazing yeah that's good yeah because some people don't do get excluded yeah. if they don't hey, drink. Look, I, like I said I did drink when I was in Dunedin so I don't know what um, I don't know what the experience would have been like if I was s- sober in Dunedin I don't really know how you do I don't know how you could survive sober in and Dunedin. it's okay to drink as well like it's okay totally. to go to uni oh I, think God, it's, you I think it's important to go to uni I had all my best stories in Dunedin while yeah. I was drinking. Yeah, funny stories Absolutely. at least from it, you know? The best stories. You might not feel amazing, but hey, like yeah. we've got good stories yeah. for the rest um, of our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. So with your blog, when did it sort of but like cause were you working as well or what was the situation? So I knew that I wanted it to be my full time job, but I didn't know whether I wanted to um and I so I I knew I wanted it to be my full time job, but I also was aware with from all sort of the research I did that no blogs or influencers if that's the word um are financially independent for the first three years like every every bit of research I did that was the that was the thing it was said three years you won't make enough money to live off so I went into it with that in mind um and I basically I worked retail when I first moved back to Auckland and I launched I worked retail for the first year just to have and I was living at home so I wasn't paying rent um 
and I used the money that I earned in that first year of retail to pay like my graphic designer and um, my web developer and for the domain names and all that sort of stuff. And then I just said to mum and dad, and this is obviously, I you know, a, a thing of privilege, but but I'm incredibly grateful for it. As I said to mum and dad, I really believe that this can work and I really believe that the 20s club has the potential to be a lucrative business, but I am not going to make money for two for two more years after this one. Um, would you support me? And luckily I come from a, a family that um, are really ride or die for their kids. And um, I grew up in a household, I've got two sisters, and there was never a discussion of um, gender playing a role in our careers or um, limitations that might be on us. It really was... Mum and dad said, you can have any job in the world as long as you're willing to work harder than everybody else. That's like the number one thing in my family was work ethic. And so because they believed, one, they believed in what the 20s club was going to stand for. And two, um, they knew that my work ethic would be like as high as it could be. They know how to turn it. Yeah, yeah. totally. And so they said, we'll support you while you get it off the ground, Um, which, which was... Like sounds like it was such a blessing, but it's also not, it's also hard in a lot of ways because you're financially dependent on your parents and you're in your twenties, which isn't always the most um, gratifying experience. And I had lots of girlfriends who are incredibly intelligent and went on to get amazing um, jobs at banks and law firms. And they were earning these huge salaries while I was still earning like the equivalent of like a low retail wage. Um, but I just had to kind of keep my head down and keep working hard and believe that if I worked hard enough, I had it had the potential to be lucrative. Mm. So in those first couple of years, you really hustled and yeah. probably head down. You probably didn't go out much. You probably no. yeah. It was it was um it was really intense. It was like a, I mean, it still is seven days, but it was very much like all day every day for seven days, churning out content. And the other, what I said to myself when I launched, I was like. From day one of working on the 20s club, you were to run this business like it's a million dollar company with that kind of intensity, with that kind of hustle, with that kind of work ethic. And if you put that into the universe, it'll eventually reward you. Mm. It's not a million. <laughs> it's not a million dollar company. <laughs> hey, but, it's gonna it's but, gonna happen. Yeah, but, but like, um, I think I like that. That's that a good the, mindset. I was like, let's go into it with that intensity. So I used to work like I was getting paid when I wasn't getting paid. Like I'd work, I'd sort of hustle in a way like I was getting paid. Mm. Um, and then so then when I did start getting paid, the work ethic was already there. The foundation was already there. Mm. So when you say getting paid, were people wanting to advertise or what, what kind of sponsorships were you doing? Yeah, so I was. I felt, I feel really lucky. There were a few um, sort of big brands that very early on when I was like a super small account with like 4,000 followers, 5,000 followers um, and just as many readers on the blog monthly – there were these sort of two huge brands that really saw the potential in the 20s club and what it stood for. One was Estee Lauder and the other was Nespresso. And they just really believed in what the 20s club was about. They liked my writing style. Um, They liked that I could be self-deprecating without being crass. And they felt like their brands could align with um, what I was doing. And so they basically offered to offer sort of contracts to work with me on like a 12 month basis, um, which was really, which was really humbling because it allowed me to 
um, say yes to, to brands that I actually believed in and already owned and already had in my house. Like I already, we were already an espresso crazy family. Um, but it also gave me that um, financial support to keep doing what I was doing and their financial support allowed me to grow the blog. And as I grew the blog, I was able to spread the message of those brands to more people. So mm. they benefited from it as well. Uh, and I still work with both those brands today, which is super special. So they've been incredibly loyal to the Twenties Club. Um, and I think that's probably my favourite part of the brand partnerships I do is the the sort of relationships that I've been able to build with um, the people behind the brands. When I was <coughs> when I was at uh, university and I'd come up with the idea for the Twenties Club, I used to intern at PR companies every summer. I just wanted to understand that side of PR mm. and it became such an asset to me once I launched because suddenly I was on the receiving end of PR mm-hmm. and I had – so much respect for how hard those companies worked. Um, and because night because working in PR is not a nine to five, like it's like a 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. like six day a week nightmare. And so I had so much respect for these PR companies that I think it meant when we were negotiating contracts or brainstorming campaigns, there was such like a baseline of respect that they kept coming back and wanting to work with me again. Whereas had I not um, interned at those PR companies, I don't think I'd have fully appreciated just quite how hard Mm. those people work, you know, and what it takes. How do you learn to do all this, like, with the campaigns and, you know, learning what to charge them? Yeah, like, obviously so, you don't need to go to the specifics, but, like, how did you learn all that? Like, how Oh, did- I, I was literally <laughs> – literally I felt like um, like a child like, playing dress up in yeah. like, my mum's closet. Like, you really do feel like a – like, sometimes I'd be like, is this is this the right number for me? Yeah. Like, I, I was lucky in the sense that um, I have – um, three incredible mentors. One's my dad. He's a businessman, so he can help me um, go through. He used to help me go through contracts, um, help me get set up with an account and all that sort of stuff. And then I have um, a mentor who works in PR and communications, and then a mentor who works in sort of social digital media. And those are all based on friendship, so I can actually tell them things that I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily tell a mentor I would say paying for their time. So I can say to let's call her Betty. I can say to Betty, I've just had this contract come through. Um they want to push the campaign across Instagram, the website, and then they also want to push it on um their own brands, EDMs. Like should I charge more for that usage rights? And if so, how much? And so Betty will come back and say, yep, definitely charge more add 15% to your blog post rate. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So, yeah. so I I, so I had no idea help. what I was doing. Yeah. Um, I, I've i always had like a keen interest in business. So I, I study a lot of like, I do a lot of like case studies of like successful businesses. But blogging in itself is still such a new phenomenon that mm. I think a lot of us don't know what we're doing. So to have um, mentors who have like my best interest at heart and want to see me, succeed and that means you know not overcharging not being demanding and um, not undercharging but also not undercharging Mm. and I think maybe that's something I struggled with at the start because I like I said I I sometimes have self-doubt it was like well what is my writing worth Mm. like how much am I worth Mm. and um 
as the platforms grow and that's become easier to ascertain because there's actually like Google Analytics that I can look at and see how many people the blog's reaching and then there are fees that are sort of based off that. Yeah, and it's good that you can use it with your Instagram because, I mean, I know from friends of mine that are on Instagram like and that, you know, uh, I guess influencers but then have blogs as well. They're like, you know, I could get paid this much to write something but I can get paid way more money to post a selfie, you know what I mean? So, totally, and I'm so not necessarily interested in the, yeah. the selfie element. So, yeah, yeah, it was, it was understanding all of that um, and also being very diligent with my words. So... I, from the get-go, I said I wasn't going to work with brands that didn't align with the 20s club. And that meant like saying no to, you know, yogurt commercials and toast, com- you know, just things that just made no sense to my narrative. Um, and knowing that if I said no to things, no matter how um, attractive they might be, I'd be rewarded you know, later mm. on. Yeah, that's a big, I think that's a really important point. How, in your experience, by saying no to these things that weren't quite right because I've had friends that are doing it at the moment with their things they're doing and they're like I've said no to this and I'm like I'm really proud of you they're like yeah I just I, nah it's not right and then within like a couple of days or a week all this other stuff comes to them so what's your yeah. thoughts and experience on that so I, I think it depends um yeah, I think it depends on the bigger picture of where you see your brand going. So if I wanted the 20s Club to be a premium website with classy content and and um, educational articles and prolific Kiwi women on it, then I needed to partner with brands that also were considered classy and prolific. Mm. And so in that sense, Nespresso is a perfect fit and Estee Lord is a perfect fit. But maybe partnering with a supermarket for a meal delivery isn't. And, you know, so it's sort of making choices like that because what I think um, bloggers and influencers need to re- need to think about is not only who they want to be aligned with, but who does the brand also want to be aligned with? Mm. Because the brands that I work with are now aligned with each other and they didn't have any control over that. But it means that, so say I wanted to work with um, – like a premium champagne company, they might not want to be associated with the yogurt company. Mm. Does that make sense? So, yeah. so when you say no to a certain type of um, campaign, I think it makes your personal brand more attractive to the right people. Yeah. I mean, look, that's just my... No, that's good. <laughs> I might not really be right, but that's no. my observation. And that's how you do it, and it's it's going really well. I think, um, incre- like, well done to you, because you don't have someone... Do you have someone managing your campaigns and your contracts? No, it's all me. Well done, because <laughs> that, like, that's, that's, that's one of yeah. the hardest parts. Yeah. yeah. It is. I've, I've weighed up the whole um, manager side of things, but it came back to, one, I actually like... I I like negotiating and I believe in my ability to negotiate. And you are interested in business, so yeah. that would be one of your strengths, you know. Totally. Um, but I also have just heard, um, well, yeah, to put it bluntly, I've heard horror stories about influencers who have managers who are just too pushy on their behalf and really a, create a bad name for the influencer without really the influencer even knowing it. Mm. And I just didn't like the, I'm so sort of impeccable with my own word. I didn't want someone to be speaking on my behalf in a tone that wasn't reflective of how I like to talk to people. Mm. I like to talk to people with a certain level of kindness and respect. And I didn't want to compromise that for the sake of an extra 10% on the fee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
It, it's one of those things, you know, it's like they can do it for you, but like you don't have full control over things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've grown it, obviously. This is four years on now. Almost, yeah. Almost four years. Four years in May. Well done. And it's your full time job. Yeah. So basically, I mean, it has been your full-time job for a while, but you would have seen it change into, and probably now it feels more like your full-time job because you're able to support yourself from it. Yeah, totally. I I was was saying to someone the other day, like when you first launch a blog, you don't know really what you stand for and no one else knows what you stand for. Then in your second year, you know what you stand for, but people still don't really get it. And then in the third year, you know what you stand for and everyone else knows what you stand for. And that's when things start ticking and that's when things start clicking into place. So it really was in my, like last year was the first year where I had um, a sort of quite insane level of of momentum. And I think that's just because everyone was fully on board with what the 20s club was and they either liked it or they didn't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know... Yeah, no, well done. I think it's an incredible thing. Like for a lot of us looking at someone who's able to make that their full-time job, like well done because <laughs> most of us have like a blog or whatever as a side hustle, yeah. you know. Like, I, um, <laughs> look, it's not it's not easy and it's a huge amount of hard work and sacrifice. But like I said, it's also like the joy of a lifetime. Um, it brings me a huge amount of happiness. And while I don't have like a lawyer's salary at the moment – the fulfillment that I have from it um, makes me feel, you know, wealthy. And you're doing the totally, and you're doing the right thing for yourself. And I think it's really important that we need to, we've got to do what's meant for us and what yeah. we're, you know, what like, we're called to. What we're called to do. And if you're not doing that, then you need to find that yeah. and do it and and believe in it. Because is there anything else you'd rather be doing right now? Absolutely not. Yeah, like there's not, like I can't think of one job in the world that would bring me the level of happiness that the 20s club currently brings me. Yeah. and Which is crazy to say at 26 because, like, sometimes we hate our jobs at 26. Yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, you need a job. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, go get it, girlfriend. <laughs> go get it. What are some of your future plans with it? Like, what do you – obviously a lot of that might be confidential, but what yeah. are some things that you really want to do with this? Um, yeah, so I do have some big plans, which I can't say. It's back to that whole point of not wanting to say yeah, totally. until it's Fair out enough. in the world. But I am committed to – my goal for this year is really to continue to expand the girls that I reach. So I have an incredibly um, loyal, engaged following in New Zealand and Australia, but I kind of want to continue to push it beyond that, um, especially with so much that I'm writing about. There's really no, um, it's not like country specific. So I want to continue expanding the girls that I'm reaching. I want to hopefully do some more um like face-to-face things. Like I think we spend so much of our digital lives behind screens and I communicate with my readers like all day, every day. They're incredibly engaged with writing to me and emailing to me. So I think to be able to hopefully sit in a room with them um, would be really fulfilling both for them and for me. So that's definitely something I want to manifest this year. Um, I'm not sure what that looks like. I don't know if that's an event. I don't know if that's a panel or even just doing things like podcasts where we can chat and and have a more um, loose conversation. Mm. 
that the girls can sort of connect with. It's kind of like an event, but yeah. everyone can listen to I feel to like it my girls time. are going to love this. Like, just, they, I know already that they listen to your podcast and that Aww, they love that's it. that's so cool. So, yeah. Yeah, well, I can send them your way as well. Make sure <laughs> reading the 20s club. We're, we're the club gals, you we know. We are the club gals. Self-love club, 20s club. We go together. We should collaborate. It's, everyone needs to be in a club. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so much fun. <laughs> no cults, just clubs. Yeah, I say that in my thing. I'm like, it's not a pyramid scheme. Yeah. It's not a cult. It's totally. just a club. We just hang out. I know, out. like, sometimes um, women <laughs> in their like 60s will be like I'm not in my 20s anymore but I'm still in the club and I was like absolutely yeah you're allowed to like like whatever you like the 20s club is really just like a metaphor it's not actually you don't have to be between the ages of 20 and 29 to qualify Mm. um and especially if you're in your 60s you've lived more of what I what I'm writing about so you're more qualified to write about it than I am yeah as a 60 year old yeah but a lot of them are just too scared we've got a lot more I think I really respect them, but I think we've got, we're so like, we've got a lot of fire in our bellies. We're, yeah. we're quite like fearless, if you know what I mean. Yeah, which is so beautiful. Yeah, that's something that our generation definitely deserves more credit for is um, our ability to sort of park our fear and go for the thing anyway. Yeah, and then just... Yeah, we'll do it, but then we'll still be real anxious. But just totally. No one, no one will know. Like sometimes I'm like <laughs> sitting at my desk and I feel like I'm about to like do an exam. Like I get that kind of like mm. stomach feeling and I'm like, you're just sending an email, you know, but we we do operate with a lot of adrenaline. Yeah. No, it's honestly so many people are like that. You you wouldn't believe. Crazy. And it's like we don't talk about it because we're like, oh, it's weird. Or sometimes you can't really even explain it to yourself. You're like, I just feel it. I don't really... I don't really overthink it anymore. Yeah. It's just like, oh, I just feel a bit anxious right now. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah, rather and than just like try overanalyze everything, you just, okay, cool. What can I do about this? What can I do to help myself right yeah. now? Yeah, and I think I really believe that whatever you resist persists. So I think when you have an anxious thought, it's really important to acknowledge it, sit with it, and then let it wash over you. Mm. Someone ex- someone explained anxiety to me like the radio. So you get to decide what channel you're listening to. If you don't like the song, change the channel. Mm. And so if if anxiety comes your way, acknowledge it, listen to it, and then change the channel. Like mm. that's not your truth and it's not serving you in this moment. Definitely. How have you sort of learned to manage and deal with your anxiety? Um, sort of sort of a whole um, mind, body, spirit thing for me. So I live like a pretty um, – healthy lifestyle um and I know just through science the direct correlation we have between our gut and our brain so me being really impeccable with um the way that I nourish my body has a direct correlation with how severe my anxiety gets um but also I've been fortunate enough to have these really beautiful um female friendships most of which have been for the last almost 20 years now and some which have only come into my life in the last sort of three years, but they make me feel so seen and supported and held that it's really impossible for anxiety to kind of get in there. Mm. Um, Because anytime I have a limiting belief, I have a girlfriend right there who can remind me what my truth is. Uh, And I'm really like vigilant with who I surround myself with. Because it's just like, like if you, if someone makes you feel worse about yourself than they, than you did when they weren't there, then you need to, un, you need to emotionally uninvest from that person. Mm. So I'm really strict about that. Yeah. Um, and then I've obviously got an amazing family. Um, but yeah, it's really, it's mind, body, spirit. Mm. Like you'd be stupid to think that um, 
therapy alone or medication alone or diet alone could 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 deal with your anxiety. I really mm. think it's um a 360 approach that totally works you really have to holistically look yeah. at it and look after yourself in so many ways and it's just like little pieces of a puzzle yeah. that help you keep on top of it and it's not like something that's ever necessarily going to go away yeah but there'll be times that it's worse than others and I've just learned you just got to ride out those times and and then just look after yourself really well with your self-care like you're talking about all the things you do like if you're doing that it is going to lessen the chances of it happening. Totally. And even then, sometimes you'll do all that stuff and you'll still get it. Yes, it's just and it's about not being hard on yourself yeah. when that does happen. Like, yeah. the, the crazy thing about women is that we're <laughs> like, we feel shit about ourselves and then we feel shit for feeling shit about oh, ourselves. Oh, God, yes. And so we just pack it on. Like, I have a lot of girls who write to me with um, low self-esteem or feeling like they don't have their place in the world or they feel lost or they feel anxious. And the first thing I say to them is, you need to believe like you need to intrinsically believe in your soul that you are created on purpose for a purpose. There is nothing wrong with you. You are not missing anything. There's nothing you need to add. You are whole. And you need to say that to yourself every single day. Mm, you have to be- you have to believe it. You have to say, I am here on purpose for a purpose. And you have to believe that. And if you can't, it, it needs to start there. There's no amount of um, therapy or vitamin D that can compensate for um acknowledging like the beautiful specimen that you are. Totally. I think uh, starting your day with that as well, like getting off your phone. If you don't like exercise in the morning, that's fine. If you do it later on, whatever, but just start your day by getting up and telling yourself these things, Yeah. write them down, like screenshot it from someone else that said it or whatever, like yeah. read it out over and over again. That's what I've started doing with my days. And even though my self-esteem is pretty good most of the time, it's like, it just helps build but you stronger exactly, and stronger. Exactly. That's even better. Cause then you'll just, it's all wiring our brains. Yeah. So you're, you've wired your brain to believe it. Yeah. And then when you do have down days, which I have, we all have, like you all go through little days where you don't feel so good or you might feel a bit crap about yourself. You can say it again. And it's like, it's kind of like going back to a mantra or something and something you just say to yourself every day. So rather than just getting up and checking your phone and just like, oh God, a bit of drag myself through the day. It's like, Get up and tell yourself really nice things about yourself. Absolutely. Like, I am strong. I am beautiful. I've got this. Like, Absolutely. whatever it is, like, just go through it. Yeah. Oh, we just need more positive self-talk. Amen. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate oh, it. Thank, thank you so much. It's been such a privilege. Aww. My first ever podcast. Yay! Thank you for listening to the Self Love Club podcast. A special thanks to Nick Baldwin, our audio engineer. Please subscribe for more episodes and catch up on apps you may have missed. Reviews and sharing this independent podcast with your friends and on your Instagram stories helps so much in spreading the self-love message to others who may need it. To find the Self Love Club resources and blog posts, check out my website, bellcrawford.com. You can follow me at bellcrawford on Instagram. I love hearing from you so much. Also, we've launched the Self Love Club community on Facebook where you can connect with other members around the world and help each other out. We've got heaps of boss babes coming up to empower you through the rest of 2019 with weekly episodes available each Monday. Next week, we've got Heidi Anderson. After that, Nat Gringudis and heaps more. Catch you soon, babes. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.